Hello, world. Welcome to the Speed Strength Show. I'm Braden. I'm Tommy. And is tennis scoring the world's most challenging math pattern? Tennis scoring, like the the scores, like yeah. The so you know, like 15. the math patterns that you did in school, probably sure. in grade like one or two. Yeah, yeah. We okay. had to try to recognize the pattern, and I guess the idea was that then you would know addition and subtraction if you could recognize. You know, like two, four, six, eight, ten, and you're like, oh, they're adding two, right? Or going the other way, they're subtracting two or adding two minus one, adding two minus one, right? So I'm wondering if tennis scoring is just the most challenging math pattern ever created. I mean, maybe, but I I don't know if you can say that because it doesn't repeat really. Well, and that's what makes the pattern like. What's the pattern? What's the rationale? What's the... Because it goes 15, 30, 40, and that's it, right? Deuce. Well, and then there's the, the letters and the words that aren't even Roman numerals that come into play. Oh, what is it? What is it after 40? I don't remember. Isn't it... Is it love? Or I thought love was zero. Because no, I think they yeah, said 15 love. love. So it goes love, right. 15, right. 30, 40... <laughs> And then do you win or it's either deuce if both of you get to four? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. Because that's the same thing in volleyball is if you're tied, then it's deuce until somebody wins by two. Which, is that the case in tennis? Is, do you have to win by two or, or, I don't know, 25, whatever? <laughs> I, I think you have to win by two. Like you, if we were rallying back and forth and then – you know, you get one, then I get one, then you get one, then I get one. It can't end like three, two. I think somebody has to to win by more than two. And I think that's why if you're at 40 and then you go up to deuce, then if you get it again, then you get the point. Right. You got two in a row. Right. Because I think, I think there is, yeah, different letters and stuff that, uh, that you said. Because I think like you're in deuce – but then there's deuce where you're like all square, I yeah. think, or it, maybe that's just called deuce. I don't know, but then you can be up and that's called something. Well, and that's uh, why the pattern doesn't make any sense to me. So if you throw those numbers out for me, then I see letters and words. I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah. That's and why is it that way? I do really wonder why it's like that. Cause it would be so much easier just to be like, okay, one, two, three, and then four, you play to four. And then well, the same way volleyball does. Yeah, except it's just a different number. And then, yeah, win by two. He played a four, win by two. That'd be easy. And I don't know why they change the number. Like in other sports, you get different points or different values for doing something, but it's different things. Like in football, you get three points for a field goal by kicking the ball through the uprights. Mm -hmm. But you get six points for a touchdown which is moving the ball into the end zone. So it's something completely different. Yeah, here so you that's get... That's why they're giving you more points or less points. Right. Yeah, here you get different amounts of points for doing the exact same thing. Or they valued the same thing at different... Like the first two times you do it, you get 15 points. That was really good. But then when you did it a third time in a row, well, it's kind of boring now. You only get 10 points. Mm. Like I, I just don't understand why it goes 15, 30, 40. And then they yeah. start using words. I have no idea. I have no idea. Either. That isn't, it, it's very strange to me, but there's gotta be like, it, I feel like it's such an old game, you know, maybe it's not, but I feel like I, I, I'm sure it's, it's not as old as other games, but I feel like there's a lot of tradition and history in it. Yeah, I would think so. It just, like I said, it reminded me of a math pattern. I saw it written out somewhere in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of, like I said, in grade one or two, where you're doing those, you see a mm -hmm. series of numbers and you have to try to figure out what's actually happening to all those numbers. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it laid out like that, I'm like, it looks like a math pattern, but it's impossible yeah, to figure out what's going on. I did really like those math patterns. I think, I, I mean, I kind of liked math when I was younger. Well, it's better than just straight adding it or subtracting. I think. Yeah. It makes it like a game almost. Yeah. Which I think is probably why they use it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Those are fun. 
especially when they like were incorporating the other numbers in the pattern. Like it's easy if you just go two, four, five, or like two, four, six, eight, ten. You're just adding two. But if it's like the pattern instead of plus two is like plus two, and then subtracting the number two numbers before this one or whatever. You know. Yeah, or if there was a pattern within the addition, like add two, subtract one, add four, subtract one, right? add six. And you're like, okay, they're changing the pattern mm -hmm. of the addition, but then the subtraction stays the same. That's what I mean. Like there were so many, I guess, challenging ways you could put it together. And then, like I said, I saw the tennis thing and I was like, this is an impossible math pattern. Mm. Why they yeah. created this way, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense to me. Are there any other sports with like incomprehensible scoring systems? I mean, even like the how you win a game or a match, because there's games, there's sets, and there's matches. There's, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Because <laughs> you have to win so many either matches or rounds or whatever. I think game, I think matches are comprised of sets, which are comprised of games. Yeah, I so I think. I, yeah. Bowling is another weird one too, I think, the scoring in bowling. It's consistent, I guess, but I don't understand it. I don't yeah, I don't know enough about bowling to know how you would get certain points mm -hmm. for how many pins you knock down and the pattern or the order matters as well. Right? Oh, yeah, like if you hit all of them at once on the first try and you get a strike that scores the next one differently than if you got like a spare where you hit eight of the 10 and then on your second try, you hit the last two. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if you don't get a strike or a spare, then it doesn't influence the next ones. Correct. I th yeah. I think you're right. And a strike might influence the next two. And then if you get multiple strikes in a row, then that influences. Yeah. That's I mean, all I know is a perfect game is 300. Yeah. I know that. I know that you one. You hit too. 10 strikes in a row. Or whatever it is. I think it's 10. 10 frames. And they use frame. Yeah, they call it a frames. frame. Frames. Instead of a yeah. set or a game or a match, it's frames. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how all these sports come up with these different like terms. Mm. Yeah. Like curling is ends. Which yes. I mean makes sense with what curling is, but yeah, because yeah, you're literally on one end shooting the rocks. And then yep. you sent all the rocks to the other end and you slide on over yeah. and then you send all the rocks back the other way and you go back and forth. Yeah. And then, uh, that one at least has like, it makes tangible sense based on yeah, what does. you're doing. You're going end to end so that I'm more accepting of that. Yeah. That one I, I, I buy into it, but I guess yeah. we just know, right. We understand that one a little bit better. Maybe. Yes. I certainly know curling better than tennis bowling I don't know what else we've talked about, but yeah. I mean, I was going to say baseball is innings, which I don't understand that one. Yeah. I mean, that could be from wherever. The only other one that makes sense is quarters, right? Yeah, and basketball or sense. football because you've broken the game into yeah. four quarters. Yeah. Um, periods in hockey, I think makes some sense, but I don't know why you don't call it thirds. Yeah. Why was it okay to call basketball and football by quarters? But then the sports that work, like hockey with period, it's not a third. Yeah. Well, and then and then soccer's and rugby is halves. So yeah, like which just, again makes sense because you've taken whatever amount of time the game is and chopped it down the middle. And you split then, it in half. But then soccer gets extra time. Is there no extra time in rugby? I think maybe there is. I don't remember. It's been uh, it's been a, it's been a little while since I played. Okay. I've never played, so I wasn't. I don't know anything about rugby, but I know the overtime rules or extra time rules for every sport is drastically different. Yes, but yeah, the tennis, the tennis thing. Just I wasn't sure. It just kind of so random to me. Yeah, it, it seems that way for sure. And I think I would have a very difficult time buying into what the argument was for it because mm. i don't know how you can make sense of it i don't know when what like i don't know what sort of rationale could be given to me where i'm like you know what 
That's a good point. I see now why you went from love 15, 30, 40 to whatever comes after that. I get it now. In that case, presumably there would have been many arguments against it. But maybe not. I want to look into it now. Maybe it's just the way things have always been done. And you just don't question it because if they've always been done that way, then that's obviously the best way. I'm curious to look into it now. I want to find the history of tennis scoring. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not right now because we'll finish the episode, but of course at a later point in time. Yeah. When we're, when we're done immediately after we're done, maybe that's probably what'll happen. Yeah. Um, but that I thought you were going right into the transition because it, it seemed so smooth to me just for a second there. Well, I felt bad that I stole the transition in the last episode. I well, just I kind of went with it and you're like, oh, I wasn't. So I, I was just going to, no, I was going to hang back. It. No, it's good, man. I'm pumped about it. I just I, let you. I, I thought we were like building off each other for a second there. Oh, I just completely <laughs> ruined it by saying I was just sitting back. Like, nope, that wasn't the transition. I was just talking. Well, that's all right. I made it the transition because I thought that's what it was going to be. I thought you were going to be like, um, because we were talking before how, actually, I I don't know exactly what your stance is on weightlifting uh, for sport, but you need a convincing argument anyway. And there's a lot of arguments. Well, maybe not a lot, but a lot of people, I think, feel similarly against using weightlifting for sport. Um like for the same reasons yeah like in the sense that it's just always been done i mean is that that where you're going with it that was my point like i I think for a lot like for football anyway um and rugby probably and other sports it's just always been done so it works because it's always been done why would they keep doing it if it didn't work so it must work you know um but then there's other people that are like, it's not worth it. It doesn't make sense. We don't have time. Things like that. That's the transition I was going for. That's exactly what I was going to do, actually. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. I was going to yeah, bring up the whole, it depends, or you're on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to do. That was my transition. Well, beautiful that we did build off each other. Perfect. Yeah. So you're on the fence, I suppose. I'm definitely on the fence. You know, my favorite answer in the world of strength and conditioning is it depends. It always depends. And I think it depends is an okay answer. As long as you then provide some sort of reason for it. Well, yeah, it'd be boring to just say it depends and walk away. Yeah, that's, that doesn't count. Every single one of our episodes would be 15 minutes long. If that was the case. (laughs) (laughs) 10 minutes of banter at the beginning. It depends. What did you listen to this week? Yeah. When the episode gets capped. Exactly. Well, we nobody have to learns have anything. A, we'd have to have a smooth transition so that they know what we're talking about. And then we say it depends. And then we leave them with nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we cool. would say, you know what depends too, is the music choice. And then, boom. oh, beautiful. The transition's <laughs> written perfect every week. And it's the same every single time. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to do that. No, I want to talk about weightlifting. It does depend. Yeah, I'm excited too. But it does depend. Uh, No such thing as a good or bad exercise. That's what I always say. Just depends. It depends how you use it, who you're using it for, when you're using it, that kind of thing. There's a time and a place for every exercise, isn't there? No matter how stupid or ridiculous you think the exercise is. Because I, man, there was... You know, if you think back to the Waterloo days, if we had conversations, there might have been times where I'm like, this is a stupid exercise. Never use this. And I guarantee I've programmed it now somewhere in the last five years because I found the time or the place or the person where it made sense. So I think you're right. There's no good or bad exercises. It's mm-hmm. it's matching it to the person, the place, the time, demands, mm-hmm. all those things. To be fair... I don't know if I'll ever program sit-ups. Yeah, maybe that's the one stupid exercise. I'm, I don't know if I'll ever program those. Other ones, for sure. I've been like, that's stupid. I'll never program that. And I have programmed it since because I see value, but I don't know. Now, what if, if I come to you and I say, Braden, I want to program 
that ruins my spine. Oh, and you might have go. to put sit-ups in there. Yeah. I mean, if you want a program that's built for uh, like core uh, force production, I'm not going to say stability, force production and lumbar mobility, which sit-ups. maybe there's somebody that wants that. I don't know. That's what I mean. So never mind. I could see. I could see it. But I I, I, I agree with what you're saying that there's there's no good or bad exercise. It's how you choose to implement it and how you use it. Yeah, absolutely. And weightlifting is no different. Completely Olympic lifting. Agree. I think we should say weightlifting, Olympic lifting, all the same stuff. I it's, like to refer to it as weightlifting. I prefer that as well. I just think Olympic lifting is more specific because people that don't know what weightlifting is are going to assume weightlifting is like curls and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it's just picking up weight. It's yeah. lift. It's lifting weight. But yeah, exactly. But it's it's not just that. Referring to clean and jerk and snatch, the weightlifting and, movements you see in the Olympics. Yes, typically, yes. and their variants. I would I would agree. I would yes. argue. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about those as well. Any derivative or movement mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. Um. So you're on the fence, but. I imagine, I know you've done weightlifting movements yourself and I'm and I've programmed pretty it. sure. I, yeah. I was going to say, I'm like pretty sure you've programmed it. Um, so for who, I guess, like what, when, why? So there's obviously a lot of variables that, that have to get taken into account. And, you know, the sport is, is one of those things. And I'm sure we'll talk about that that after right there are certain sports that maybe the qualities or the benefits you get from weightlifting are worth the time and the effort to put into uh maybe in some cases they're not you have to take into consider into consideration the training age or the experience of the athlete because it's not exactly something you can teach from scratch there's a base of the pyramid that you you need to have if you look at I don't know if you've ever seen any of the, the hook grip posters. So the company hook grip, they do all like the photography media for weightlifting and they have the posters where they have like 20 still shots of the sequence of the lift from start to finish. And I did it one time with a practicum student I was working with and I gave him a picture of one of those. And I told him, I was like, how many exercises do you see in this, in these pictures? And he's like, oh, like there's deadlifting, there's RDLs, there's overhead squat, there's front squat, there's overhead press, there's a lunge or a split position. So when you start to look at the movement broken down in still shots, if you can't do all of those movements competently, how are you going to put them all together and do it well? So you need to have a foundation of those movements. So do the athletes or the people you're working with have those movements? If they don't, you now have to take a step back and give them that skill set before you move on to weightlifting. Another thing that I think for me has been a big influence is where are you training and what equipment do you actually have? Think about Waterloo, for example. It might have been most beneficial for me to do weightlifting with the volleyball athletes I had. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we didn't have barbells in the, the upstairs area. We didn't have a place to drop weights. We didn't have bumper plates, right? Contrast that to where I'm at now at the U of A, where we have 12 platforms, bumpers, bars, everything. So you could bring a team in there and do weightlifting movements without issue. So yeah, you do have to take into account, like, where are you? Do you actually have the equipment necessary to do weightlifting? Because if you don't, then you can't. You can't do it. So for me, when, when I talk about weightlifting, it depends. Those are some of the big variables I have to consider right away. Do the movements and the adaptations from weightlifting match or are they necessary for the sport? Is the person prepared to do weightlifting? And do we actually have the, the tools to do it? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree with all of those. Um, obviously if you don't have the equipment available, then you can't, uh, if the, yeah if the person can't squat then don't 
Olympic lift if the person can't overhead press. I mean, then don't do the jerk portion, of course. Yeah. Um, if someone can't deadlift, then at the very least, you're not going to be pulling off the floor. I think if they can't deadlift, then, I mean, chances of them being able to do other parts of the lift, I think, are very small. Um, well, deadlifting is so, a hinge, right? So that's you right. really suck at the deadlift. You're probably bad at hinging. Yeah. And so I mean, your maybe hang you can... position, for example, probably doesn't look very good either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, of course, if it doesn't apply to the sport, then, then you shouldn't like, there's no reason to do it then. Um, but I, I do think with most sports, there is an application. I don't, I, off the top of my head, aside from something like bowling or darts or billiards you know that's not really athletic um <laughs> shots fired sorry not, anyone not listening really, plays those sports <laughs> not a not a speed power sport i'll say yeah that's fair not a speed power sport definitely i would consider that hand-eye coordination athleticism i would call that i would i would say that that's the case i'm just giving you a tough time yeah um but uh yeah i think with every speed power sport i see application um, whether or not it's worth the time. And another argument that uh, when I was looking into it that came up was um, if you work at a university and you see these kids through the season and through the off season, then maybe you have the time and it, you're going to be with them for potentially four years, then maybe you have the time. Um, and you probably, if there's any kids that are going to be moving on to potentially Olympic teams, national teams, uh, pro teams, then depending on the sport, a lot of those teams will want to be doing Olympic lifts, I think. Um, so it would behoove you to prepare them for that. Um, it's a good word. Thanks. I've I don't been know what that it. means, but it sounded good. It would be good for you to, okay. to it would serve you to do that. Um, so there's, I do think there's a lot of reasons to do it, but, uh, one, one argument against it was that if you don't really have that much time, you know, if, if you only see these kids in your off season, maybe you own your own like sport specific training gym or something like that. And you see them like three or four months out of the year, then, you know, especially if it's your first time working with this kid, then you already have to teach them how to squat, deadlift, press, lunge, carry, all these like the basic movements, gain some competency there. Once they have that competency, I mean, maybe the summer's over and then they had a good time. They come back. Do you want to be spending two months teaching them how to, you know, do a full clean and jerk and do a full snatch, maybe longer than that. You know, it's, it's hard to say, maybe like, like I said, if they're going, if they're in a university or like preparing for university or preparing for pro sports, then maybe they're going to be doing it there anyway. So you want to get them started. But if that's not the case, like I could see a lot of people choosing not to because they see that they're not getting the benefits from it until they have the proficiency which i don't know that that's true but i see that argument anyway yeah one of the the other points that i didn't bring up in those first first few is the notion that weightlifting like weightlifting is a sport this is a sport where coaches dedicate their entire careers to figuring out all the nuances and the perfect way to lift the bar this is a sport where athletes spend potentially two decades working towards moving as much weight as possible in these lifts over the course of their entire career. And I think it becomes really tricky as a strength coach to start implementing this type of training if you are not confident and if you do not understand the sport of weightlifting. Right. So that's another thing. Like a, a young coach may not have the ability to actually teach weightlifting because they don't know the sport well enough. They don't know the movements. They don't, 
they don't have the background or the training or the education in that. It's not something that you can just go out and read the CSCS textbook and then be like, yeah, I know how to do clean cleans and snatch and jerks and things like that. I'm good to go. It it's way more than that. It's an entire sport on its own. Yeah, I I do agree with that. And I mean, I, I think that applies to any, any exercise, any modality, really like you, you need to stay within your scope or within your skill set or within your toolbox. We like to say toolbox. Um, but I mean, like, there's no doubt that teaching somebody how to do a horizontal row or like a dumbbell bench press is way easier than teaching someone how to do Olympic weightlifting. It's yeah, much more yeah. complex. There's so many more steps. The, the simplicity of it is not there. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It is, it is, uh, I would say the clean and jerk and the snatch are, are probably the, at least off the top of my head, the two most complex movements that you can do in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. Like they deserve a lot of respect. Um, and they are very, yeah, very complex, very intricate, you know, very technical. Um, I mean, that said, it's not impossible to learn, but like you no, no, and I'm not implying that it's impossible no. to learn in, in any way, but it but, it takes time and dedication to do it. Mm-hmm. And you as a coach, if you're going to use it, you need to be confident in your ability probably to do it, definitely to teach it um, and to know how to assess and, and progress and regress and um, have a good amount of uh, variations and derivatives and uh, progressions, regressions to pull from to help the process along. Um, but the other thing I think it's important to keep in mind, like it is a whole sport, but you don't need to, like, you don't need to be perfect. Like we say all the time that um, strength and conditioning for athletes is a means to an end. Everything you do in the weight room is a means to an end to do something a little bit better on the field. Um, so you, you don't need to be, great at Olympic lifting. If you're using it, you need to be good enough to get the adaptation. Um, and I mean, I can speak to that because I mean, my sport powerlifting is a sport that's the squat bench and deadlift. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot over the past week or so actually. And I think a lot of the strength and the sport strength and conditioning coaches that I know don't understand the squat bench and deadlift as well as I understand them. And I would completely agree because you've dived into it as a sport where the only thing that matters is how much weight do you move in those particular exercises? So I would completely agree with you on that. And, but at the same time, they're using these exercises and they're confident in their ability to teach it. Uh, I look at athletes that I follow that are coached by some of these coaches doing squats, benches and deadlifts. And I'm like, those are all terrible. I hate them. Um, I have a different standard, of course, but they they do them well enough to get the adaptation, you know, or to get an adaptation, whether or not it's what they're looking for. Hard to say. Obviously, you'd need to have an extensive conversation to learn that. But um, I think that's important as well, that it doesn't it doesn't need to be an overwhelming task. If you're confident in your ability to teach it, then you can teach it well enough i think to to use it a lot sooner than people think yeah and i'm glad that you brought up the idea of you know powerlifting is a sport where what consists of your sport is used by probably almost all athletes to some extent i imagine every athlete does one of bench squat or deadlift in their supplement or eh, supplemental training and getting involved in the world of track and field has made me respect that line a little bit more in the sense where I don't think, for example, at Waterloo, even if we had the facility to use weightlifting as a training means, which there were times where we could go down into the dungeon weight room and train there, uh, but it didn't make sense because of how busy it could get. But I don't think I would have been good enough as a coach and I have enough knowledge in the the realm of weightlifting to use it because I didn't understand weightlifting the sport. And now that I've dove into track and field, the sport 
which again is another sport where running and jumping that training is used by other athletes. What it gives you is an appreciation of where the drills and the movements are coming from. And that's been a big thing that I've learned since being here in Alberta, my, you know, coaching mentor for my master's, he worked with people in Olympic weightlifting, like competing. Uh, we have a couple of people here as well that are coaches in weightlifting and learning about the sport and its derivatives and the drills. Like, why do they do hang cleans? Why do they do pulls off of the blocks? Why do they do these other movements? It gives you an understanding of how it works in their world, where the drills came from. And then you can start to piece together, okay, does that make sense for my sport or the athletes that I'm doing? Because you're no longer making an assumption of, oh, I see somebody pulling off of the blocks. They're doing it because of this. You know, you now know from a sporting standpoint why they do it. And it gets you to the point where there's a phrase I like where in order to break the rules, you have to know the rules. And I think by knowing the sport and exploring the sport, it gives you the tools and the knowledge you need to then kind of reverse engineer it and break the rules and decide maybe what simpler movements from weightlifting make sense for my athletes or should they be doing the full movement? Should they not be doing the full movement? all those types of things. So I just wanted to make sure in this episode for sure that we, that at least I got the message out there that it's an entire sport and coaches that are going to use it as a training mechanism should respect it as such and go out there and do your homework, talk to a weightlifting coach, find somebody to explore these things because it's going to make you way better at teaching them and using them and it gives you the base that you need as the coach to teach it. Just like the athletes need the base of the movements. You need the base of understanding to use it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I think. Um, and not, not one that I, I mean, not one that I really thought of, I don't think. Um, but that, that reminded me of like my past self, uh, programming for powerlifting and, uh, programmed some stuff because I thought it, I mean, it did end up working. And then later you learn some stuff and you're like, well, it actually probably worked for this reason, not this reason, you know? And, and once you learn more and more and you dig deeper and deeper into the purpose of each movement and what you're getting out of each movement, then you, then you know why they're working and then you can assign them to specific people because, I mean, you identify that this person needs to work on this part of the lift or this skill in the lift. So this is the movement to address that. Um, and I see those kinds of things with powerlifting coaches all the time where they're using a variation to emphasize a portion of the lift where it is emphasizing that portion of the lift. Like it's very easy to see that, but it isn't necessarily developing the skills to make them better at that portion of the lift, if that makes sense. Um, so I can see a lot of people probably using different weightlifting variations to emphasize a certain portion of the lift, but not necessarily make them like develop those skills. Um, well, and weightlifting has a bit of a different goal as well. Like yes. the goal in weightlifting is to move the most weight possible. So everything they do from a movement standpoint is to optimize bar path to get the most velocity on the bar, mm -hmm. for example. Right. And when we're training athletes with weightlifting, the goal is not necessarily to lift the most weight possible because they're not competing in that sport. Mm -hmm. So then like an example that I've learned, like pulling off the blocks, for example, is something that I've learned has, is a useful mechanism for helping weightlifters lengthen the duration of their transition or the time to apply force in that second pull. Where an athlete, because again, they're trying to apply the most force to move the most weight. As we're with an athlete, do we necessarily want to lengthen that second pull and provide them a wider window to apply force when in their sport, they probably have a narrower window to apply force. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of you might look at something and go, oh, they're pulling off the blocks it's doing this, but it might be doing something very different mm -hmm. from a weightlifting perspective. And then if you haven't explored that, then you sit there as a coach and go, maybe I haven't used this properly mm -hmm. or maximize the use of it. 
So I think, again, that's just why it's important is as coaches, we recognize that there's different goals and different objectives that they're trying to do in the sport. And then we need to really understand the sport in order to use it in our own context for yeah. a different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's also important to, um, to think about like weightlifters are using those movements to improve their weightlifting where we're using the movements to improve the sport um, or quality so, or an adaptation or something like a physical ability. Yeah, exactly. So we don't like whatever somebody's limitation in there, like aside from um, like when you're first teaching the movements, you're going to use regressions or partials or, you know, however you want to define them um, because it's easier to learn the movement in pieces than it is to learn it all at once. Um, so that I think is the main situation in which you're going to be using variations to improve the lift as a whole. But after they've learned it to a sufficient degree, then you're not necessarily choosing variations to make them better at weightlifting. You're going to be choosing parts of the lift that will transfer best to their sport or their position or the skills that they need to develop and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's a great point that the, yeah, the derivatives and the, the partial, the partial lifts, let's call them. Um, again, if you have that understanding of the sport, then you can know, Hey, if I do only the second pull, or if I do only this, if I do only that, this is potentially the adaptation I'm getting out of it. And that's beneficial for my athlete of whatever training age in whatever sport. And then it, it should help me make the progress that I, that I want to make. One thing I did want to ask you, what do you think are some of the, the potential adaptations that we get out of weightlifting? Like, what is it about weightlifting that you like, or you think we can best extract out of it for the athletes, for any athlete that we work with, maybe more in general? Uh, well, there's a lot. <laughs> there is there's a lot um and i mean prior to looking into it i i hadn't considered all of these benefits but um the big one that i think everyone's looking for is hip extension power or hip expansion hip extension speed um which that's clear and obvious or triple extension power and speed mm -hmm. clear and obvious um but beyond that um some of the drawbacks actually I think are big time benefits as well. Like p the things that people cite for reasons to not do it, I think are reasons to do it honestly. Um, that being one, it requires a lot of mobility. Um, it can anyway to get into the bottom of a, like a deep front squat or a deep overhead squat. If you're doing a full movement from start to finish, yeah. There's tremendous mobility exactly. demands, which you don't need to be doing the full movement from start to finish. Um, but that's one thing that people cite that you need a lot of mobility. Not everyone has the mobility, not necessarily worth developing. I do think that there's benefits for everybody to develop that level of mobility. They don't necessarily need to be strong and powerful in all levels of mobility, but having it, I think is, I don't think there's a drawback in sport anyway, uh, in athletics. In, I think that's a bit of a cop-out excuse to be completely honest. Like if someone's having, like, Oh, I'm not going to weightlift this person because they don't have the mobility to do it to me. That's, I think that's a bit of a lazy approach mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because if they don't have the mobility to do that, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass somewhere down the road. Well, and that's the thing is it's, if nothing else, it's motivation to get that mobility, Yeah, you know, and to strengthen and stabilize in those positions. Um, the, Injury risk is another one that a lot of people cite, um, which there's injury risk in every sport or any, every exercise. Um, these ones are more complex. So if you're doing them when you're not uh, skilled enough to do them properly, then that's when the injury risk elevates, in my opinion, when you don't have the mobility uh, to get into the deep positions, but you're still trying to. Then that's when, that. Yeah, then that's, that's when uh, you don't have the... Um, like that's when the risk elevates, but, and a lot of people, I think, talk about the snatch and shoulder injuries, shoulder stability, but 
having shoulder stability, especially in such an extreme extended externally rotated position, like that's like what sport doesn't want that, you know, especially like you look at uh, like volleyball and basketball that they do so much work overhead. Um, and a lot of them have shoulder issues and swimming. Even a lot of them have shoulder issues. Well, what about pitching, throwing, right? Exactly. The arm comes back tennis yeah, when you go to strike. Yeah. So there's, there's so much stuff that you, you, you know, like, and so having that shoulder mobility, it's just an, another thing. Like it's, it's a very, like it's a tertiary benefit, I think, but it's still there and it's still tremendous. Like you, like catching a snatch, you're, there's, I don't think very many things that are going to teach that level of shoulder stability. Um, Conjunction with that level of mobility. Exactly. At the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think those are the, oh, and then the other, the other big one that people cite we've talked about is that you don't have time because it's too technical. Um, one, I don't know if I agree with this yet, but the video that I was talking about um, uh, garage strength uh, is a big proponent of weightlifting for athletics. And one of the big reasons is because it's so technical that it gets the athletes thinking more and more about technique and execution and being very precise and specific and meticulous. Um, they don't have the luxury of slacking off like you do with a dumbbell row or a dumbbell overhead press or even a back squat. Like back squats are very technical. They can be, they don't have to be, but you can make them sloppy if you, you really want to. And you can do that with weightlifting as well, but I think it's harder. I think it's going to feel a lot worse. I think you're going to notice a lot more if you're doing it, if you're doing bad reps. Um, so I think from that standpoint, then more of a mindset than anything else that they can use with those specific exercises, with the rest of the exercises they're going to be doing in their training programs, with the technique drills that they're going to be doing on the field you know, and even, um, he talks a lot about using, uh, like on the minute cleans or on the minute snatches, um, just one or two reps, but doing like 75, 80%, 85% on the minute for like 15 minutes. Um, it's just ingraining good patterns, ingraining good patterns, good for conditioning. And that way, you know, when you're fatigued, you can be dialed in and precise and specific and coordinated and all of these things that you need to be when you are really fatigued, which again, I don't, I, I'm confident that he's correct. I believe in the idea. Obviously I haven't investigated, so I can't fully buy in, but um, being fatigued at the end of a game, you know, you talk about fourth quarter goal line stand and you need to put out a lot of power you know, if you've just done 15 cleans in a row over the course of 15 minutes, like that's, it seems like high transference to me, at least mentally, if not physically. So those are some of the, some of the more interesting ones that I found. Yeah. I, I would agree with the, the, well, yeah, like you said, I, some of them I haven't dove into, but at first glance in terms of the way that you've delivered it to me, it, it makes sense. Um, especially the last part even not so much for the conditioning, but just the number of reps you can get in over the period of time, give somebody more practice. And with the lighter load, you can ingrain good patterns. Uh, I completely agree with the, the ability to create power, uh, particularly peak power, right? If we look at like, what is peak power and it's combining, you know, high loads with relatively high velocities, there might not be a better alternative than, than weightlifting for that in terms of, from a physics standpoint, producing the highest value of power the human body can produce because there's not many movements that are going to combine that level of load that you can lift with weightlifting with the speed that you can move the bar at. Um, you know, you can load up a clean to 75 or 80%, which could end up being a lot of load for some people. And the bar still moves very quick in a squat or a deadlift. The bar will never move that quickly with 75, 80%. So 
in terms of creating peak power, if that's an important adaptation for your athletes, you're going to have a tough time finding a, a better alternative, let's say, for that. There's obviously a degree of rate of force development as well because the bar is changing speed throughout the movement. The pull from the floor to your kneecap is at a different speed than where it moves from your kneecap up into your hip when you start to accelerate and move the bar. So there's an idea of rate of force development. Can you produce force with your muscles to change how quickly something is going to, to move? So there's, there's going to be some benefits in, in that regard. And another one is you potentially get some uh, stretch shortening cycle uh, activation at the level of the knee, at least not so much in the, the hip or in a reactive way in terms of like being on and off the ground. Cause it's not really a repetitive jump or a, a load explode type of type of movement, but you can get some, uh, some of that out of the, the knee. Cause you have the double knee bend where the knee is pushing back as the bar is coming up. And then once it's past the knee, the knee then pushes forward again. So you get a little bit of that, that load explode similar, like an elastic band, right? Where you can pull the elastic band a little bit and then you let go and there's a little bit more pop. So you can use that movement with the knee. So depending on the sport, something like volleyball, if you look at the way that they jump, that transference of that knee movement in weightlifting transfers really well to the way that a lot of them like block and jump at the net. So really great transfer for, for something like that, for example. So if you've done a good job breaking down your sport and you think that you need something at the level of the knee in terms of the stretch shortening cycle, you might be able to get it out of some of the weightlifting movements as well. And even with the jerk, once you have the bar and you're stabilizing, you have to dip and drive at the level of the knee. You bend the knees and then push in order to get the bar moving up. So those are some of the big adaptations. And again, in conjunction with what you mentioned, because we're making the presumption that if someone can weight lift, then they can squat, deadlift, hinge. So you're dealing with someone who's developed a lot of movement competency and skill and mobility, as you've mentioned, because if you can check all the boxes to start weightlifting, you've probably put a lot of tools in their toolbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of those, even um, with the stretch shortening cycle with some of the variants, like I would argue that um, like a hang clean um, or a hang snatch or something where if you allow yourself to start in a tall position, come down to the hang and then explode back up, then you can get that uh, stretch shortening at the hip as well. Um, but, and, and that's another great benefit I think is that they're just so variable and you can, you can target so many different things with it. Um, you can target a, one of the papers that I was reading into or a couple of them were saying, depending on the variation, you can load them in such a way to target like the entire spectrum of the force velocity curve. Um, yeah. Cause you can play around with the weight tremendously and yeah, have it yeah. heavier and move slower. Yeah. And then all the way of just removing weight. And as mm-hmm. you remove the weight, the speed will climb higher and higher. A mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, couple other ones. A lot of people like the, uh, the ability to receive load. Um, like force absorption in the specifically in the catch. Um, and there's some other variants. I, that same paper actually was talking about how some of the other variants are better for that than the actual like catching a clean. Um, they cited a jump squat as a weightlifting variant, which I mean, agree, disagree. Um, but that one was really, really solid for peak uh, ground reaction forces in both like pushing off and landing. Um, and, uh, and then the other one was the high pull, not using the catch, just a, a high pull and back down for lengthening, uh, like the time that it takes to decel the bar. Um, so uh, I thought that was a, an interesting one, which obviously in a lot of, sports i mean in every sport you have some level of uh 
like receiving force decel kind of like whether it's landing in volleyball or basketball any kind of change of direction is that uh decel kind of thing um or like in football and rugby and hockey taking hits giving hits it's all the same stuff um the other one that i thought was really really interesting that i hadn't considered before is that the bar is an outside load so it's not just that you're moving it like you're physically hitting the bar with your hips and the bar is physically hitting your shoulder or hitting your hands as you're catching it um which is different in my opinion at least than a jump squat or like a trap bar jump or something like that where the bar is like connected to you the whole time the bar is moving around your person um so that in my opinion more closely mimics like a tackle or breaking a tackle or something like that where you are hitting another person or you are hitting an object yeah no i completely agree and then the other the the benefit that i personally like the most out of weightlifting is the contract relax phase and cycle that you go through particularly moving from the explosive pull where you start to pull and shrug the bar up and then how quickly you need to contract forcefully all your muscles and create a lot of tension to get the bar moving up. And then in a split second, shut everything off and relax so you can get yourself moving the other direction to pull yourself underneath the bar. And then you're underneath the bar. Now you have to contract and create tension again to stabilize, to either catch the bar in a front squat or an overhead squat position. And personally, that might be my favorite benefit, I think, from weightlifting because there's not a lot of movements that you can create that that level of force production followed by the need to relax that quickly. And so, like I said, for me personally, that's probably my favorite benefit. And even in scenarios where I don't necessarily want to use weightlifting, if I'm going to use it, it's going to be for that reason. How can I kind of know the rules and break the rules to try to extract that benefit out of something that looks like weightlifting to, you know, check the box in terms of someone says you need to do weightlifting with these athletes. Okay. I'll do weightlifting with these athletes. And it looks like it, it would pass the eye test, but you can get those benefits out of it. Cause yeah, I think those are serves a lot of athletes really well. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. There's so many sports that benefit from that. Like you think literally any sport where you need to be in that quarter squat position, like you're falling into that quarter squat position. Like it's, I don't know, like that's the first thing I I connect to it. Like you imagine a linebacker sprinting, like that's a, a forceful movement and then they need to stop, relax, get into that low hip uh, position underneath the running back and explode again into and into make that tackle. Um, I can probably think of examples from every sport because yeah. I connected back to McGill's paper on the double balls. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. That and was, how the best yeah. strikers in the world, whether they're golfers, MMA artists or MMA, like mixed martial artists, anything like that, there's a lot of force and then there's relaxation. And then tension and a lot of force and then relaxation and they cycle in and out of that. Yeah. The thing that I like before doing all this research that I was like, it's for this reason, it's a great, great exercise. Um, especially I think like there's using reasons to use all the variants, I think, but um, specifically the power variants where you're catching it in a higher position. Um, I really, really like the explode, relax, and then like rock solid tension again. So it is that same double pulse that you're talking about um, specifically for sports like tackling sports, contact sports, where you need to like, uh, you imagine a lineman exploding out of their position, relax so that they're fast through the air or like as they're taking their first step or two mm. um, and then rock solid again, as they're making their block, you know, um, 
So I think I think for that reason that double pulse it's it's obviously that specific double pulse skill applies to so many different sports, but the ability to just be rock like full body rock solid and receiving force um, in an athletic position I think is is great. Um, the other one I don't know if you have any other ones we've <laughs> we've covered a, a bunch. Um, the just to bring it back to what we started the episode with where you mentioned that like weightlifting is a deadlift it is a squat it is a lunge it is an overhead press it is uh, a front squat it is an overhead squat it is you know all it can be a lot of those things yeah all these all these different things um if we're talking about weight room economy and your athlete has the skill to do weightlifting at a high level then i mean you're still probably going to squat you're still going to do some accessory work, but you're getting so much more out of weightlifting exercises than like to make an make up for one clean and jerk. You would need to do a front squat, um, a lunge, an overhead press, um, an RDL, a kettlebell swing. Like you need to do six exercises to get the benefits of one. And at the very least, it gives you a, yeah, I know maintenance is not a true thing because the body's always changing. But for example, if you had heavy cleans in a program and you didn't do heavy front squats for that entire program, that person's front squat is not going to regress. Yeah, not, not any meaningful amount. Because sure. you're catching in a front squat and then standing back up with it every single time you do a clean. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, maintenance is probably not the best word, but there's continued practice of all those movements. So like you said, the economy, you don't have to include all eight movements that make up weightlifting mm-hmm. or seven or six, however many it ends up being in your program if you have some weightlifting in there because you're going to get continued practice of those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, it also kind of reminds me of the way that you think about like progressing or regressing different movements throughout the season where you see someone's like, you're really good at squatting. We're just going to take that squat pattern and tweak it to get different attributes it's the same kind of if somebody knows how to do a clean and jerk or knows how to do a snatch you there's hundreds of variations you can do to get different stimulus stimuli from those movements so yeah there's if you have the time and the ability then there's a lot of a lot of benefits in my opinion yeah and like i said i completely agree with you know a lot of those benefits that we've we've talked about and that's I mean, we're probably going to have to make a second episode to talk about the drawbacks and maybe why you shouldn't we do it. We might have to make three episodes. Honestly. We might have to make three. And I'm okay with that because I love talking weightlifting. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, for myself personally, this is why I sit on the it depends. Because yeah. you can see now all the benefits that you get out of it and why you may want to use it with your athletes. I guess in the next episode, we'll get into maybe some of the drawbacks and why you would not want to use it to kind of justify the Mm-hmm. the other end of the spectrum. And then we can talk about some specific examples, maybe of how we've broken the rules to make it fit for our context or things like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of benefits to it mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of investment, but the return is certainly not non-existent. There's yeah. a lot that you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, a lot you can get out of your music selection as well. Um, and certainly doesn't have the same, uh, time to return on that investment. Uh, maybe, maybe depending on what you listen to. Oh, like a long song. Is that what you mean? Like a free bird? Oh, no, I was thinking more so that if if the song is really good, then the time that you've invested into listening to it becomes irrelevant because you've gotten something good out of it in the same way that if it took you a year to progress an athlete to doing Olympic weightlifting really well, well, if they're doing it really well, there's probably a lot of benefits you're getting from it. So then it was worth the time and the effort. Mm. Yep. So that's more where I was going with it. Yeah. Yeah. I got you for sure. Totally agree. So if I listen to a crappy song, I feel like, ah, oh, that's four minutes. I can't get back. Mm. I wasted my time. But if it's a good song, 
then I'm all for it. Mm. Yeah. I guess my point was just that it's not going to take a year to listen to a song. Oh, no. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Unless you like wait for a long time for whatever reason. One second per day. Oh, geez. One note at a time. That oh could take, God. yeah. Let's, oh. Yeah, not worth it. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, what were you listening to all the notes of at one time this week? I had a little bit more black keys playing than usual. Nice. I like yeah. the black keys. Yeah. I don't, have I, have I said that before? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I may have. It, I don't know. It's been in a one while. of the first couple episodes, maybe at the very but, least, but yeah, I had more of the black keys playing nice. uh, this week. A um, rare, a rare instance in that I know the band that you're talking about <laughs> and have heard their music and I can attest. Yeah. And just in case I had mentioned the Black Keys before, the other thing that I was listening a lot to was, I wouldn't even describe it as like a band or a genre, but I kind of took a trip down memory lane over the last four or five days, listening to a lot of songs that we probably would have first heard together in the pack because of Octane Radio. Nice. Nostalgia. So there was, you know, probably, you know, there was nothing more. Um Seether, uh, Amaranth, Amaranth in this moment. Uh, nice. A lot nice. of it would have been like a 2014, 15, 16 trip down yeah. memory lane of what we'd lift to in the pack. So that was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, that's the that stuff, type man. Of stuff. That's the stuff right there. So I that's what I was jamming that. to this weekend or this I week. Love, I love doing that when you just like catch you know 30 seconds of a song and you're just like yeah i love that song that reminds me of this time and you just you just go back to a time and you're like i that's that's one that i've that i go back to from time to time that like that octane you know uh pack gym vibe but yeah that yeah, that's brought one. back good memories another one is like that uh that like early high school for me that's like 2000 2009 to like 2011 in that range like the the pop stuff like those those throwbacks yeah like uh yeah like like apple bottom jeans and like uh yeah by usher and like all those that sort of stuff yeah 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 that's that's fun that's fun hmm i don't have anything new to add this week uh for music anyway i, I haven't been listening to a lot of music this week um is still k-pop in case you're wondering but i have been listening to more podcasts than usual oh okay. um, so i can i can bring something else new to the table i think um, that's fair yeah um the i listen to a lot of the podcasts on the headgum network if anyone's interested in that it's a couple guys that used to be a college humor founded this company called headgum and now they have a number of podcasts that are very entertaining. Um, my personal favorite is it's called Review Review, um, where they take reviews from different internet websites um, for different like companies or products or whatever. They read them and then do improv skits based on the review, like act, kind of acting it out, but it always goes off the rails. So if you're looking for a funny podcast, I would highly recommend that one. So yeah that sounds entertaining i like the what's the word the, yeah the improv of it or just like come up with it on the spot and you see what happens yeah yeah they're they're quite they're quite good at that the two of them um i mean that's kind of the way that our show well it's definitely not improv but it is also it, in a way it is i mean on my sheet of paper i have probably 25 words written down and we did more than 25 words worth of back and forth. Yeah. I've definitely and I didn't got... even get through all the 25 words written down because we have to make a part two. So, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely got more than 25. I don't think, I mean, I definitely didn't, I definitely didn't talk about like 90% of that stuff. Yeah. That's what I mean. So I'd say <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're okay at the improv game, maybe yeah. not for comedy, but for information content. Yeah. I think we did that's all right. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, we do all right. We do all right. We have fun. We have fun. Anyway, yeah, that was a good one. I'm excited for part two and potentially part three. I'm I'm stoked as well. 
I'm looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. And we've left a bit of a, I think this is the first time we've maybe left a bit of a cliffhanger for the audience. Is that right? Well, because we it? haven't talked about like the drawbacks and we told them we're going to like, uh, there's, we, a, we touched on them a little bit, I think, but yeah, there's, that was there's, my biggest section. There's some, you have so <laughs> many more drawbacks. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm more excited now. <laughs> All right. All right. Well then, uh, yeah, tune in next time, I guess, to see what Tommy hates about weightlifting. Such a harsh way to put it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was the Speed Strength Show. If you want to get in touch with us, then Instagram is the way Speed Strength Show, Speed Strength Performance, Braden Southern are the are the three. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that caps part one. Yeah. Thanks for coming along, world. We will see you next week. Peace.